Sarah Chow from Bond Supermart. Welcome to another episode of our podcast series, Guild Hunters, where we share with you about newborn issues and hold discussions on the fixed income market. Today, we have Tan Churan, fixed income analyst from the Bond Supermart team, and Sean Tiao, senior unit trust analyst from IFAS Singapore. We're going to continue our second part of our mini debate on bonds versus bond funds. In our last episode, we touched on some basics. Um, we weighed the factors like ease of diversification and accessibility. And now, in our second part, we're going to explore more complex factors in determining how one instrument trumps the other. Um, what you as an investor should know when picking your fixed income instrument. Um, this second segment is really going to focus a bit more on investors who have a larger amount of capital ready for investments. So last we spoke, bond funds appear to be better for investors when it comes to um, diversification and accessibility. We've got Sean representing bond funds, Churan representing bonds. Okay, so let's start by looking at bond maturities. I mean, if you buy individual bonds, you have a fair idea of when they'll mature, um, when they'll be called, or when you'll have the option to put it back. Right, because you're gonna be able to find all this information in the deck that you're given or in the prospectus or offering circular. But for a bond fund, because the pool of money will be managed by the fund manager, if a bond is you know actually being redeemed or it's called, the fund manager will be able to find another use for the money by buying another bond anyway. So from this aspect, any of you feel like there actually is an advantage for either type of product? Well, I think you pointed it out right. There's basically no maturity date for open-ended bond funds, because, like you mentioned, the monies uh, that is uh, will be automatically rolled over to other bond issues once a bond redemption has taken place, right? Because fund managers are not allowed to hold too much cash, uh, because it becomes a drag on uh, portfolio performance. But I think the advantage of investing in bond funds is that you will not have to worry about all these nitty-gritty details with regards to when it will be called. When uh, the, if we put, you know, you always be invested in the market. So I think for bonds, if you're looking at a short term period, I would say there's an advantage in investing in individual bonds if you're looking for income in that period. So let's say you want to have some stable income for three years, then you can find a bond paying maybe four percent coupon near or below par, and you can just invest in it, and you should be fairly confident that you get your capital back. Beyond that, I think investing in bonds and bonds funds, they share similar risk like interest rate risk. Like when you are rolling your bonds in a declining interest rate environment, you will mostly get lower coupons. So in the end, both the bond investor or the investor investing in funds, they will be gradually be exposed to lower yields or they'll be exposed to higher risk to get higher yields. If you look at the current period, I think it is likely that the reverse will actually occur in the future since interest rates are really so low. So I suppose the advantage is if you know what you want, then it is an easier process if you invest in individual bonds. Right. The other thing about this, right, is that bonds offer this predictability of fixed payment. If you buy a bond that tells you it has a 5% coupon paid on a semi-annual basis, then you know exactly how much you're going to be getting each time. How does a bond fund then match up um, in this aspect? Well, I think it's somewhat true that bond funds have less predictability when it comes to knowing how much coupon you'll get. If you invest in a bond fund solely looking at the yield it offers, you will often find yourself looking backwards rather than forward because fund fact sheets are only prepared once a month. 
And also, I think if you had previously inside, decided to reinvest your dividends or engaged in a monthly contribution to the bond fund, then the effective yield you're getting becomes even more unclear. But I'm in a camp where I'm usually less worried about the exact dividends received, and instead I'm perhaps more focused on my total returns. So I'm actually okay with not knowing how much income I'm receiving to the cent. That's fair. That's fair. Not all investors are investing in bond funds solely for that dividend that they receive. Um, I do have a question on um, these fund dividends though, because I have come across some funds where um, they may uh, be quite upfront with investors by saying, okay, look, we're looking at a 5% dividend um, rate every year. But what I do hear is that sometimes this 5% doesn't necessarily come from the dividends that are being generated from um, the portfolio. Sometimes maybe the portfolio is unable to achieve that. So they may um, have to carve out a certain section of its capital to be able to pass on this 5% to investors. Is that something that really happens? Is it very common? Yep, you're right. Uh, there are funds who actually pay out capital, like you mentioned. Uh, while, I, while it happens, I wouldn't say it's common. So usually these uh, payouts are tagged to a certain uh, or special share class. And I would say for most uh, accumulation or, or most regular share classes, uh, this wouldn't be the case. But uh, this definitely uh, happens from time to time. You can find them in the market. I see, I see. Okay, but if you look at bonds, then I think that you don't really have to worry about capital loss if you hold a bond to maturity because you already know the coupon rate. And then if you buy the bond below par, then it is likely that you will not receive any capital loss unless the bond defaults which will then depend on the bond's credit rating. So if you have a yield target, it should be fairly simple to have this stable cash flow if you invest in bonds, but it will be quite different for funds. Fund managers might trade bonds in order to achieve higher returns, but for some bond investors, total returns might be secondary. They, they are just happy with their constant coupon payments. Well, yeah, that might be true, but for bond funds, you have the option of reinvesting the dividends you receive. And that's something that I really like personally, and I believe it's one of the key ways to actually grow your wealth because of the compounding effects over time. So if you compare the performance of two uh, investments into the same bond fund over, let's say, a period of five years, one with dividends reinvested and the other without, I think you can see the wealth discrepancy, it becomes quite clear. Okay, yes, that is true. But for bonds, some bonds have small incremental sizes, like maybe $1,000 incremental size. So you can easily reinvest your dividends. But I have to admit, generally, the reinvestment benefits for bonds wouldn't be as comprehensive as bond funds. And most bond investors actually won't reinvest their dividends. Okay, so I know Chiron touched on this very lightly just now, but do you have a personal view on which instrument may be better for different interest rate environments? Well, I think maybe like having the ability to choose individual bonds might be better. Because I think for a bond investor who wants to express a particular view on interest rates, all they can do is just select funds that's according to the fund's uh, duration or convexity profile. So for example, if you believe the interest rates environment will be high over the long term, all you can do is just opt for bond funds with lower duration profile. And of course, uh, the inverse is true. If you believe that interest rate environment will be lower, you just have to opt for a longer duration uh, bond fund. Right. All in all, I, I do have gripes with the type of bond funds that's currently available to retail investors. I personally would love to see more short duration or negative duration bond funds launch in the coming years. 
because I think the range of products targeting these segments have been quite stagnant. And that's also where I believe the forward-looking part about investing comes into play, right? We are moving into an age of central banking and fiscal policies working hand-in-hand with one another, which I believe could be a game-changer for the bond market as a whole. And I think just to give podcast listeners some backdrop, I think that the bond market has enjoyed a four-decade-long bull market, and it has paid to be long duration during this period. And the thing about the type of bond funds available in the market is that it caters to demand. And what we are seeing is that there's not a lot of demand out there for short-duration or negative-duration bond funds because they haven't done as well as long-duration bond funds. And that's why I think and I believe that demand is a function of investors' preference, and investors' preference is always highly backwards-looking. Well, for more passive bond investors, duration will affect them less as they can simply hold their bonds to maturity. And I think the, the risk that they face will be interest rate risk rather than duration risk. Because if you keep investing in short duration bonds, like bonds that are going to mature in less than one year or two years, then the risk is finding another bond which can give you about the same coupon as the bond that just matured. Of course, if one invests in negative yielding bonds, then there will also be different scenarios depending on the interest rate environment. And I think that, like what Sean said, for bond investors, I think most of them won't have the knowledge to really go and invest in instruments that can give you short exposure to bonds. So it will be easier for investors to invest in negative duration bond funds if they think that interest rate environment is going to rise. Sean, you mentioned this um, negative duration bond fund earlier. I don't think I've heard of that before. Could you? What do they do, actually? I think the reason why you haven't heard of them is because they are never usually marketed as such. Uh, They've been performing so badly. For sure, yes. But I think there are some bond funds out there that uh, have gone negative duration, like perhaps a negative two. So what negative duration actually means is that um, they are negatively exposed to interest rates. So for example, if there is a rise in interest rates and if the fund has negative duration, then uh, it's, it's quite likely that they would actually benefit from uh, any increase in interest rates uh, in the near future. Oh, so are these available only for your accredited investors or you know, retail um, investors are also able to tap on these? There are bond funds out there that is available for retail investors that uh, have um, negative duration, but all these are actually quite contingent on the fund manager views and they are not uh, necessarily always short duration. I see. Okay, great. So um, let's get back to the topic um, about bonds versus bond funds, right? So another thing that I think we should consider are the fund management fees charged for bond funds. Because for bonds, the yields are generally on the lower side. So with these fees, does it eat into the returns for investors? I would say the typical fees for global bond fund is about 1% and perhaps about 1.5% for high yield bond funds. I do agree that fees are quite high for bonds given the yield environment that we are in. It has fallen quite a fair bit. And proportionately, uh, owning a bond fund is actually becoming more expensive. And I also believe that fees are perhaps one of the main reasons why bond funds fail to outperform their benchmark. But I also like to mention that there are a handful of funds that are worth the fees that um, they are able to outperform net of fees. Usually, the outperformance of such funds happen during market drawdowns, right? Bond funds, uh, we have seen bond funds losing less money compared to the benchmark, especially when uh, risk sentiment is poor. So I think uh, risk management is probably one of the most underrated areas that uh, some of the investors ignore. 
right? We try our best to actually discover and sieve out such gems when actually re- recommending funds to our clients. I mean, for an investor, if you were just invested into a bond, you wouldn't have to deal with these fund management fees, right? Yeah, so for bonds, I think the main, the main fees you'll be looking at will be transaction fees and also depends on your advisors. But it is a very clear trade-off. It's management fees versus the time you spend doing your own research or your advisor, paying your advisor. Um, let's round this off. Let's come down to a conclusion. Is one truly better than the other? Sean, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Well, all in all, I do believe that the world is filled in various shades of grey. It's very hard to generalise on whether investing in individual bonds or bond funds are better. I think circumstances, uh, preferences, and also your ability would dictate uh, which is better for yourself. But I think, generally speaking, bond funds are able to meet the needs of a larger population in helping them gain access to the deep fixed income universe that they would otherwise be unable to gain access to, either because of uh, stricter regulatory requirements or the lack of capital. For this, I would have to agree with Sean. It is important for investors not to be pigeonholed into a single investment product or scenario. For example, for frontier market bonds, you most likely do not want to have a concentrated position in these bonds. So in this case, you can opt for frontier market bonds funds. But if you really know what you're looking for, like paying off mortgage loans with the stable cash flow that bonds bring, then it is much easier and simpler to construct a bonds portfolio to do just that. Going further down the risk spectrum, it becomes more complicated. But the thing about customizing or building your own bond portfolio means that you as an investor can aim for outsized or higher returns than what a bond fund can give you. But of course, you have to take on higher risk and sacrifice time or money. I believe our research at Bond Supermart can actually find these type of ideas that can benefit investors. Also, with Bond Express, it is much easier for investors to go for these high-yielding ideas without sacrificing much capital. And I think that this helps to bridge the diversification and accessibility gap that Sean mentioned. Alright, thank you guys. This has been a really insightful discussion. I'm glad we got to discuss this whole issue of you know bonds versus bond funds because I feel like that is something that a lot of investors and advisors out there um, have when it comes to actually deciding on an appropriate fixed income instrument for investing in. So thank you again, guys. Well, thank you very much for having me here. You're most welcome. Our second part of this special two-part bonds versus bond fund series has been brought to you by Bond Supermart. I'm Sarah Chia, and our guest analysts with us today are Sean Tiao, Senior Unit Trust Analyst, and Tan Churan, Fixed Income Analyst from the Bond Supermart team at IFAS Singapore. Do check out part one of Bonds vs. Bond Funds if you haven't done so yet. Follow Bond Supermart on Twitter, Facebook, and Telegram to get first-hand updates on new bond issues, credit updates, and special events. For bond information and articles, visit our website, bondsupermart.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you soon. Thank you.